So I'm reading apparently the Adams Family. I don't know. One of those Tarantino, one of those other cats is making another Adams Family movie. I mention that because it's Wednesday, March 23rd. I'm Guy Adami. I'm joined by Dan Nathan. This is Market Call. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet, people. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And of course, Open Exchange because they manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. Now, when I was a young lad, the New York Jets had a running back. Back then, they had a running back, a halfback, and a fullback. John Riggins was their guy. So I'm channeling my inner Riggins today, rocking my mohawk, Dan. you seeing this? How are you, by the way? I mean, I can't unsee that guy. I mean, what's going on there on the top of your head? You look like, uh, what's the guy from Taxi Driver? De Niro? Your yeah, guy, remember that? that's right. Yeah, ex- that's exactly. exactly right. Listen, let's talk about it. I mean, markets are moving here, buddy. I mean, like, you know, we had that like, kind of vicious sort of rally off of the lows last week. And, you know, some of the, uh, like, the underlying stock movements have just been crazy. You know, crazy. Like earlier, you and I were talking offline, Tesla... Okay, just topped a trillion dollars again. It's rallied 30% in a little more than a week. I mean, that's kind of insanity. I mean, it doesn't just make a whole heck of a lot of sense. And it doesn't lead me to believe when you have a 10% move higher in the S&P and you have a 30% move higher in a, tr- you know, in a stock that's now a trillion dollars in the same time period, that things are particularly working well here. Oh, I'm with you. I, I said it on Fast Money the other night. The fact that Alibaba, which is still, I think, a $300 billion company, give or take, moved 50%, yeah. 50% in the course of four or five trading days. The market's broken. All the mechanisms around the market is broken. You mentioned Tesla. I mean, that bottomed out at 700 now north of 1000 I mean, that's a, it's a crazy All move. Right. Nothing makes a lot of sense here, Dan Nathan, to me. But here's the thing, guy. So how broken is it? If the story in the second half of 2021 was that large parts of the market were correcting, if not crashing, if you will, right? But we were making new highs, you know, for the better part of Q4, largely powered by 10 stocks. That's what we have again. I mean, right now, if you consider everything that we know about what the Mm -hmm. Fed's doing with rates, what we know about supply chains, what we know about inflation, what we know about wages in general, what we know about deglobalization, the uncertainty around geopolitical sort of events, and the S&P 500 is down 6% of the year after being up 26% of the year, and the NASDAQ, given the hundreds of stocks that we know that are NASDAQ-E, I think I just quoted that, NASDAQ, or coined that, NASDAQ-E, are down 50%. And the Nasdaq's only down 10%. I mean, something is really wrong, or you and I just have it. We're just dead wrong. Well, it's usually me that's dead wrong. I'll say this, and I'm going to attempt to answer that question. I think people that have fled the stock market historically in times like this rue that day. They're like, I can't believe I got out entirely. Look at these stocks. So instead of getting out of the market entirely, what I think is happening now is they're going to, they're effectively panicking into fewer and fewer names. For example, I mean, look at the price action of Apple just today, but over the last week, week and a half. I mean, the rally has been significant on a tape that was great, obviously, last week. It's a little dicey today. So I think that's what's going on to answer your question. They want to remain in the market, and they're trying to find a refuge in fewer and fewer names. Now, we'll see how that plays out. I don't think it's going to play out particularly well. But right now, I think that's what's going on. All right. Well, you and I, uh, let's just say this, okay? So- 
are we just wrong? We talk about all these individual names. We put up lots of charts. We do a lot of fundamental analysis. We talk to analysts. We talk to strategists. We talk to people at the companies. We talk to investors at the company. Are we just doing it wrong? Are we wasting tons of time on single names? Is the name of the game to just buy the SPY and the QQQ and sit back and let it all work? And don't worry about being long a stock that could go down 50 or 60%. Because you and I would agree, you know, when the NASDAQ sold off 80% from its highs in 2000 to its lows in 2002, that's never happening, mm-hmm. again, right? We can agree on that. Like, that's never happening again. So are we wasting our time on all these single stocks? I don't think should so we just at all. Fold no, it? I, I don't we, think we're – well, I mean, if we're wasting our time, um, then I can go on to do other things. Like, I can start to break down Yankees position by position, which I know you don't want me to do. And I can talk nope. about last night's Ranger game, which I guarantee you don't want me to do. So, no, I don't think we're wasting our time because, quite frankly, for a lot of people watching, whether they realize it or not – You've owned a lot of those stocks that have gone down 40, 50, 75% by virtue of the fact that some of these mutual funds that you're in or ETFs that you're in. So I think it's important to bring this to light. And are we wasting our time? No, because at a certain point, I think the broader market will act in kind and we'll see. But it's also worth having a conversation because having a conversation to me, it helps people to ask the right questions and to look at things differently and to sort of get themselves up the learning curve that is markets and is investing, Dan Nathan. No doubt about it. All right, let's hit a couple headlines here. Yesterday, Carl Icahn phoned into uh, Scott Wapner's new show called The Overtime. So his mm. show at noon is called Halftime. The show at 4 o'clock is called The Overtime, and it comes right up into Fast Money at 5. So is that double OT guy? I would well. Good point by you. I mean, maybe we should rebrand the show. You know, the double overtime or yeah. the bunch of old dudes after overtime or something like that. I just sort of like keep it fast. You know what? I, you know what? With you, when you're leading off at five o'clock, we can call it sudden death overtime because that's all the time. It can happen you- anytime. And I hope you enjoy that because there will be a day. I mean, there's that old saying: "Live like you're going to die tomorrow," because at a certain point, you're going to be right. And in my case, obviously, my days become fewer and fewer but please if that brings you joy please continue no it you know it doesn't you know I, you know i love you to death all right so carl icon said to scott and you know i thought this was kind of interesting just so you know the last time scott had interviewed carl icon from the new york stock exchange was the day they got carl and, and bill ackman on together mm-hmm. they had that big fight which was kind of cool back in the day all right so carl's saying there could very likely be a recession or even worse which i thought was really interesting so let's talk about recessions Let's talk about what it means for the markets. We know what the technical definition is, is two consecutive uh, negative GDP quarters. And and, and again, some last longer than others. The one that we had in 2020 was really short. Why? Because federal funds went to zero and they started throwing hundreds of billions of dollars in monetary and then fiscal at it. So we had a very short recession. What's your take about like what it means if you're an investor at home and you hear this billionaire investor say, well, it could be a recession or worse. Does that make you run for the hills? No, and it's interesting. I mean, we had Batnick on our podcast a few months yeah. ago. I mentioned him because he actually put something out, and I was fascinated by the piece. He talked about what causes a recession. Does you know market sell-off cause a recession or vice versa? I'm pretty convinced, yeah. by the way, a market sell-off causes a recession. We'll see. So does it get me running for the hills? No. And I don't think, you know, we throw around recession like it's a bad word. I would submit it's an essential part 
of the business cycle. And the fact that we try to alchemy them out is what makes all these problems worse. So JP Morgan, I mean, good for them. By the way, that's the same JP Morgan that a week and a half ago when Alibaba was trading 75 that said these Chinese stocks are uninvestable. I mean, they literally rang the bell. So, you know, you take everything with a grain of salt. I'll tell this to you about Carl Icahn. He basically said, there's going to be a rough landing. Inflation is a terrible thing. I don't think they, they being the Federal Reserve, can engineer a soft landing. And I'm with them 100%. I think more and more people are coming to that realization. And that's going to have, again, to use the word, deleterious effect on the broader markets. Well, yeah. So just to have a little tease, you and I just got done interviewing Gavin Baker. He is a crossover investor, spent 20 years really at Fidelity, and now he runs a treaties management. He's a genius investor. And you and I just talked about this with him. That's going to drop tomorrow on our On The Tape feed. So check that out. Friday. Um, It's going to drop on Friday. Oh, that's right. Today is Wednesday, as I mentioned at the top, because, of course, Wednesday Adams, which one of my favorite characters in sitcom history, back to you. Yeah, well, no, but part of what we were talking about is kind of these cycles. To your point is like, okay, they're trying to manage, you know, to a soft landing after we've seen some behavior as far as in our economy that we haven't seen in decades, you know, 40 years as it relates to inflation and the potential for some kind of ways, a wage spiral, that sort of thing. And, and again, you know, like, you know, trying to be at least appreciative of the fact that what we don't know, we don't know, you know, at the end of the day, I just don't know how, and you and I talked about this, let's just pull up this S&P 500 mm-hmm. chart here. We'll look at the spy here. I just don't know how the spy down 6%, you know, from that all time high just a couple months ago, given everything that we know. And here's the most important thing, okay? Is like, okay, we've had Delta, we had Omicron, now we have Ukraine invasion here. All of this stuff is crimping S&P 500 growth. And right now, I think consensus is still calling for like eight or 9% year over year EPS growth. That's just not happening, guy, right? And you think about what margins are going to look like given the, you know, inflationary pressures. You look at this chart, you see that rally. We didn't make a new low from February. What is the spy chart telling you? And I'll tell you another thing. Amanda Diaz, our producer, she must have Carter Braxton worth on the brain because that's a 150-day moving average that the spy stopped at yesterday. And I was going to say exactly that. We're paying homage, a silent H there, to Carter Braxton worth using the 150. He thinks that's the important one. I happen to agree with him, and it really illustrates exactly this point. I mean, the 150-day was effectively a trend line from the lower left to the upper right until obviously the end of last year, beginning of this year. And then things got a little bit dicey. Well, we broke through it, traded back above it, broke down again. Now here we are touching it. I would submit we're going to break down one more time. I think this is a really important chart. No, by the way, that 150-day, which had been going again, lower left, upper right, is now headed flat to slightly lower. I think there's a change in trend. I will say for the 30th time at least, and if I'm wrong, I'll be the first to admit it, I think 3750 is the ultimate target of this S&P 500. We'll see what happens if and when we get there. 4000 being the logical stop first to your point about that lower horizontal line that you drew. So I'm with you on this. So listen, the last week caught me off guard without question. I didn't think we would see a rally like that. Now things seem to be turning back and we'll see. I think people are far too euphoric. I think somehow they think the situation Russia-Ukraine is going to resolve itself magically. I don't think it will. And to your point exactly, Dan, what's the right multiple when earnings are going the wrong way and when interest rates are going higher? I don't think it's currently where we are. 
And again, if those earnings disappoint, that just drags everything down with it, Dan Nathan. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, listen, I'm in your camp. I just don't like to see moves like that um, off of a low. I think the other point is, listen, some technicians will tell you the fact that in March we did not make a new low from February after February made a new low from January. Um, you know, that's kind of bullish here. But again, I think as we get into quarter end, we're going to start kind of thinking about what Q1 reports look like and what Q2 guidance looks like. And, you know, Nike was kind of interesting to me two days ago when they reported it was pretty good the stock gapped up what six seven percent and then it closed on the lows yesterday so that might be kind of a tell and we'll talk about adobe in a second here but let's just say like okay how can we be wrong about the market you know with the s&p that's only down six percent it can be unchanged pretty quickly Mm -hmm. how would that happen well you could get a bunch of crap to start to rally here a little bit that you know if you had energy hold in there you saw financials kind of firm up and make their way back but if you had those top six stocks like apple apps x amazingly well it's gone from 152 to 172 in a week right guys so if you had that microsoft google amazon they could lead the way again couldn't they no question about it and i think a lot of the questions we get are exactly about names like that they could and look let's look at the next chart just to take a look just to eyeball it i mean the s p chart tells you one story this actually the QQQs, triple Qs, as they say, looks a lot worse. I mean, this you've had meaningful breakdowns. You never had a validation of the S&P high yep. late in December. I mean, it doesn't really line up that well. And oh, by the way, that 150-day moving average, again, that was an uptrend line. Not only is it uh, flattening out, it's actually trending lower. So I think there's definitely another leg lower. And I've said a number of times this as well, and I believe it. I think the broader markets will bottom when Apple trades down to about 137 and a half, 138, which if you go way back in time, was a prior all-time high. Prior resistance becomes support. I think both the broader market and Apple will find it in that form, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, listen, the QQQ, you know, people ask me, what do you want to leg into when you think we have bottomed? I think you go into the QQQ because the very point I was just making, those top six names or so make up, what, 45 50% of the QQQ. And then you have all that other stuff in there, all that crap that's down 70 80% or so. And those should help off of a bottom. So to me, you know, the NASDAQ did make or the QQQ did make a brief new low here. Let's see if it goes back. I think that... 340 level or so could be some pretty decent near-term technical resistance. But guy, Nostradami, I got to ask you this, because you had the call on the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. That's obviously been a source of volatility as it relates to equities. And we know that, you know, a lot of equity investors price a lot of risk that they're willing to take off of what interest rates are doing here. So here we are, we have the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield at 235. It was at 165, as you mentioned the other day on market call, just a few weeks ago here what would happen if yields came in and carter just you know you were i don't know what the heck you had like a lunch or something yesterday a liquid lunch you couldn't join Mm -hmm. us here but carter said something about he thinks the potential for a pullback in yields what would that mean for stocks you think it would be bullish for stocks no because i think if yields were to go lower they would be because you're having a flight to quality in the form of bonds in other words people running into the bond market pushing yields lower which probably by definition means the market is headed down. So no, I don't think it would be particularly bullish. I think it would actually be that in and of itself would be bearish and it would be happening for bearish things in the broader market. I'll say this. If you didn't know what this chart was and you looked at it, you'd say, oh my God, this must be some $150 million biotech stock that just had a favorable phase three ruling or something like that. No, 
No, you'd be R-O-N-G wrong. And I think one of the mandates of those geniuses that comprise the Federal Reserve, I don't know, I read it in a book or something, is price stability. You got anything but stable prices. And listen, you say, guy, you're a jerk. Yeah, I am a jerk. I think you spelled that with a J. But I'll say this. Look at this chart. Ten-year yields were 165. We're still in the month of March. Early in March, they were 165. They're now 240. You think that's price stability? The bond market is broken. So to answer your question, if yields go lower, it's probably because the market is selling off and yields continue to go higher. It means we have an inflation problem. Neither one to me are particularly bullish, Dan. All right, let's real quickly while we're in. You like what I did there, by the way? I'm on fire today, man. My Rigo thing is just, I'm channeling my inner Riggins. By the way, University of Kansas, I believe. Back to you. Oh, yeah? Taxi driver. I got you, dog. But let me ask you this. You talked about prices and things moving around. You know, one of the things I thought was really interesting is that bank stocks reacted very strongly yesterday. So JP Morgan at one point was up 3%. So was Bank America. Wells Fargo was up 4%. They closed off their highs. And then today you're seeing a pretty proper give back. JP Morgan is struggling with this 140 level, or at least that's a level to me. What do you make of this kind of intraday or day-to-day volatility in bank stocks? Because it's it seems pretty extreme. And then the other one guy, you got to weigh in on these home builders. Look at Toll Brothers down 30%, Lennar down 26%. These are massive. This is just on the year. Now, granted, they had a late year breakout last year, but some of these rate sensitive stocks seem to be really moving around right now. So I think it's all part of the same. Again, I'm not an economist. I say it all the time, but I think all those things you just mentioned are all part of some of the same pastiche or some of the same um overall markets that we're looking at in terms of banks and home builders and rates going higher and those types of things. In terms of banks, I think the market is struggling with what's valuation, what's the right valuation. JP Morgan has slowed off considerably since its all-time high a couple months ago. Is it a level where we can get interested? What does the inverted yield curve mean? And oh, by the way, there are parts of the yield curve that are now inverted. What does that mean to banks? And you know, what does credit worthiness look like going forward? And oh, by the way, (laughs) There are people blowing up in the commodities world. Who has exposure to some of these commodity houses and what does that mean? I don't think that story has played itself out yet. So I think a lot of people are trying to come to grips with it. In terms of home builders, did we just see as good as it gets over the last five years? And does raising rates mean these home builders are in for a rough sled? Or is it just an inventory problem that they're going to have five years of runway with? I think that's why the market is struggling with both those things, Dan. And I don't have the answers. I'll tell you this. I actually think there's another leg lower in the banks, and I think it's going to be for credit reasons that are going to start to rear their ugly head. Yeah, so we had a question yesterday from Greg Armand. He is a follower of our content, so we appreciate Mm. all that. He asked us to look at some of the software names, Microsoft in particular, and this kind of goes back, Guy, a little bit to what you and I were talking about, is like how we could be wrong if the markets were to get back to unchanged, despite everything that you you and I think are really bad for stocks right now, most notably the potential for stagflation, an environment that we've never really seen before in our careers. And, you know, let's take a look at Microsoft here, because again, This is like a $2.3 trillion market cap company. It trades at a multiple that, you know, it used to be considered very high for this company, but it's back to kind of being a growth company, right, guys? So, you know, expected to have double-digit EPS growth this year. Revenue is expected to grow, you know, mid-teens. That is on a $200 billion number, but trading this year at 32 times, 11 and a half times sales. Next year, 28 times and 10 times sales. Again, $2.2 trillion stock here. I would just say, given where 
the stock was just a few months ago, late last year, and where it is right now, I don't think enough damage has been done. The sentiment didn't get bad enough. I know it was down almost 20% from its highs, but look at the chart from the start of 2020. Look at that trend line from the lows of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It is below that. And I know what you're going to say. It held that support like a boss until it didn't. You wouldn't say like a boss, but you're going to say that prior support is now what? Resistance. And that's exactly right. So to answer your question, by the way, I think in Birdcage, I think that was the name of the movie. Great movie. Gene Williams, Hackman. Gene and, uh, Hackman and, yeah. and, the, and the woman that married Harrison Ford, if I'm not mistaken, that her own show, Ali McBeal. Flockhart. Exactly. And I think one of the characters was named Armand. I don't think you're the same one, but I just thought I'd bring it up. Great question. I think Dan is exactly right. I do think there's a potential to trade back up to that trend line and fail. Listen, nobody is impervious. When the market participants start looking at valuation, no stock is impervious to that. And I think that's exactly what we saw in terms of the Microsoft sell-off. And it, it's an unbelievable company. They've done um, crazy things under Satya Nadella. He has transformed that company in ways that I don't think anybody thought possible. But it doesn't mean the stock can't trade back down to sort of that 250 level, and then we'll reevaluate there. So if what I think is happening is happening, I think Microsoft trades back to that uptrend line, fails, 250, buy it there. Into earnings, I think, in early May, if I'm not mistaken, Dan. Yeah, so let's look at another one in the software space. And this is an interesting one, the information, which is a tech rag that I read. They were talking about last week in an article how Salesforce is starting to trade like Oracle the way it did once they just started making every two years like these massive acquisitions just become a good, a big roll-up. They paid, what, $26, $27 billion for Slack last year, and they're digesting that. And it's kind of been a drag, you know, on their earnings here. This stock is trading, you know, 45 times multiple sales and six and a half times the $200 billion market cap company. Sales are still expected to grow 20% a year for the next few years, but profitability is not the sort of growth that you might, you know, kind of want given the valuation here. You look at that chart, this goes back to the start of 2020. You see that massive kind of move that we had in the last year, which, you know, was not a great setup for 2022, if you know, or if you thought that value valuations were going to be compressed with raising rates here. What's your take on Salesforce? Because again, I want to give Benioff, you know, I want to give him the benefit of the Benioff of the doubt. You see what I did there? But this thing does not look particularly healthy right here. I think what the market is telling you to your point exactly is they're worried he's going to overpay for something. And again, the integration of these things is critical. And if you overpay and you're wrong, you get punished. And I think, unfortunately, it's a great company and it wasn't the stock's fault or the company's fault that the stock traded north of 300. I think it's just paying for it now. I do think there's a level where this makes sense. But again, it comes down to valuation. And are are we on the other side of the growth mountain for a name like Salesforce? And the chances are we probably are. And you have to find out what valuation is right. The flip side of that coin, by the way, is a name like Oracle, which you can make a compelling case on valuation about. And it's actually traded really well since their earnings release, I want to say early last week or the week prior, I'm not sure. So what does this say to me? I think there's another leg lower, unfortunately, if you own Salesforce. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. So so the article and the information was talking about Oracle. When their organic growth topped out, they started making all those big acquisitions. And the stock really underperformed, right? Like for years. It felt like a decade or so. And so that's, I think, what they're kind of getting at. All right, let's speak of uh, By the way, I know you you should give me some – I know you don't think I pay attention. That was a pretty cogent breakdown 
of Salesforce and Oracle. Anyway, I'm just patting amazing, myself. I mean, listen, paying attention to the, cheap, the cheapest thing, thing you can do. Can do. Yeah, balls. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. please. All right, let's, let's talk about Adobe because right now. Oh, uh, wait a second. I just wanted to, if you didn't watch Fast Money last night, go back and watch the tape because Dan eviscerated me about this one. He wound up being right because I got to tell you something. I saw the quarter. I saw the guy yeah. that said, look, the stock's off from $700. I think you can actually make a decent case on valuation, and Dan stopped me in my tracks. Yeah, wait, and he hold was on. Spot were, you, on. were you annoyed? No, I not felt at like, all. No, because you were right. You know what no, I said no, was, no. look, the stock was up twelve during the day. It's giving it back now. Yeah. Blah blah blah. But I thought it was okay. No, in I the moment, wrong. I was wondering if I was a little too too hot, no. a little too no. aggressive, and I, I you know because I don't want to do that to you. You know, what I mean? no, I love you, that. But, I think but, that's good TV. It's important. But, but you know what you've done for years really well with Adobe, as we're sitting there on the desk and the stock's reporting, you'll say the stock's always down. You do. You say the stock's always down after they report. And you usually say, wait a few days. And then you buy it and then it'll be back up. And and that's worked. And maybe that works again. My point was, I didn't want to buy it down three or 4% given what I thought was going on. And the other point I'll just make about this company, again, here's a $200 billion market cap company that, you know, the growth is decelerating. Their earnings growth is decelerating. Expected to be 10% this year, 18% next year, which probably seems kind of high 31 times this year 11 times sales just seems really expensive and here's the other thing guy i want to get your take on this 90 percent gross margins that's amazing ish okay they've never been higher well they can't go much higher okay so like that's kind of my point here i don't find this one particularly compelling and you look at that break of that uptrend that was beautiful and you look how far it's come since it broke it in just a matter of months here you tell me where's the next level of support is it that 2020 high before the pandemic break it's, well, that's exactly right, because we're now through the 2021 low that we bounced off. Yeah. If you look in the middle of this chart on the trend line, and you know, it's interesting, you're right about valuation, and Adobe's always been expensive, but it's not like it's grossly expensive now. What this speaks of to me is maybe there's some competition out there for a company that basically had no competition for the last five to eight years, and that's the way it's trading. But where's the next level? Well, probably comes in the form of sort of 380 somewhere between 380 and $400, and then you can start to look at this again. Great call by you. Bad call by yours truly. No, nah, I mean, listen, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Guy, you and I have said this a lot. Every once in a while in Fast Money, I'll say it. We get really hot. We got lots of trolls. Everyone's tweeting at us and this and that or whatever. You know, listen, I'm not your broker. I'm not your hedge fund manager. I, I like, We show up. On Zoom, we go on TV. We're like the guys in Sports Center talking about the games during the day. What the hell do we know? I mean, we're just trying to kind of like, you know, keep it real a little we bit. And, and you kinda- know, it's interesting. And, and it's a good point. And what do we know? I mean, no more than anybody else. We try to, what we try to do is put, you know, my 35 years, actually, it's more like 50, and yours almost three decades now of experience. And we try to talk about things that we're somewhat well versed in and try to give people a roadmap. That's always been the case. But it's not like we're giving investment advice. Neither one of us are registered investment analysts or whatever they advisors. advisors. Yeah. But we try well, to help people look at these things and make educated decisions, Dan, and have I'll a conversation. You know what? And, and I don't. I hope we don't sound offensive here. But you know what? I've spent 25 years staring at Bloomberg and fact set machines and talking about them with investment professionals, with strategists, with analysts, with investors, with people like you. You you've been doing literally fast money since the start for 15 years. I've been doing it for 11 years. I actually really think the ability to process the information and talk about some of this stuff and explain it in a way is amazingly useful. And we meet investors all the time. 
time, whether we're podcasting with or they come on the show or they're, they're, they're practitioners in the business who really are maybe really good at what they do. But if they can't articulate it, they're missing something about it. Don't you think so? hundred percent. That's exactly yeah. synthesizing information, making yeah. it accessible. We play a game on CNBC's Fast Money from time to time. <laughs> would you rather? I try to play by the rules. Others don't. Dan, don't. would you rather? This is a question yeah. from Mundian. Dan, would you rather Amazon or Google? I actually think I know the answer to this, Dan Nathan. Yeah, I like Amazon. I, I kind of I, listen. I don't dislike Google by any means. I'd like to see them all go down. I don't like why Amazon just shot up fifteen percent. I mean that that's the one thing I wish it gotten overdone, and then that catalyst was kind of lurking out there. I think the timing was bad. What about you, guy? Amazon or Google? I'm with you, Amazon. I didn't think Amazon would get as low as it did. Obviously, they announced that split. You know, look, yeah. whether I think it's a big deal or not, market does. They announced a, a buyback that was insignificant. But I think the second half of this year, I think it's going to be Amazon's half. And I've said that basically since late last year. We'll see. We got a Roku chart we want to take a look at because I just think this is one of those things. Yeah. You were on with CBW yesterday once again. My man Carter making bold calls. Looks like he's going to be right about this one too, Dan. Well, here's the thing. You know, I put this one up there because last week when I was out, you had him on and you guys were talking about the potential for square bottoming and it had that massive rally, you know, over 50%. And so you look at this thing and you look at the, the like just how horrible this decline has been over the last six months ago since last summer and picking his head up a little bit over that vicious downtrend. And I asked him, he's, he likes it here. And so one thing I would say is, listen, I don't want to buy this thing. I mean, I think that there's a potential for another tape bomb here, but you get through that gap fill from last month, right, on earnings, you know, and you look out to next earnings and maybe expectations are low enough. I mean, the way I would play this, I'd look at that 150 level and the May 150 calls are like eight and a half dollars. You do the math. I know that's six and a half percent of the stock price and it doesn't break even up until 158 and a half. And here we are at 130. That's a long ways away. But man, if there's ever a reason for this thing to go higher with that short interest and the negative sentiment, it could be back up at 200 like that. I like the way you snapped it. It was a good snap. You were you were nervous when you did it. Like, boy, I hope it works. And you were able to pull it off. Good for you. We got a question here, Dan. We're in OT right now. I apologize. But yeah. hey, listen, I mean, whatever. This is from Kevin. What is your thought of people typically using the phrase invest for the long term when most people can't handle a 70% drawdown? I'll tell you what I think of it. It's a freaking cop out. You know what? I could say, you know what? For the long term, I love this stock and there are no ramifications. I'm not going to curse here. That's what I think, Dan. You don't have to answer that. Chris Sinclair asks, why didn't the Yankees win a World Series in the 80s? As you know, Chris, because you asked the question, Junior, the Yankees won more games than any other franchise in Major League Baseball in the deck of the 80s. For some reason, they were unable to get to the big dance and win it. I don't know why. I'll tell you this, though. I love Jack Clark in pinstripes, Dan. And that's it. That's it. Like this, we're out of here. I mean, it's time for us to go. Dan, you have anything to say? You want me just to wrap it up? No, I think as an homage to Calista Flockhart, we should say we're Audi McBeal, buddy. This is it's it. It's, it. it's over, right? We don't, even, we don't even rehearse this stuff. I mean, no. I did like that show, Audi McBeal. Great. She was great. She's still married to Harrison Ford, who's about. Yeah, but you know what? I, I, I take issue with that. Harrison Ford, easily one of the best actors of, of this entire generation. And you look at the blockbusters that he's been involved in. But when she married him, they moved to Montana, and she started stopped acting. Uh, listen, what can I tell you? I mean, you you know, you're married to Harrison Ford. You you know, get in a plane, fly around, do your thing. I mean, Montana, by the way, is a beautiful sun, con- a country, state. And to quote the Hunt for Red October, I would have loved to have seen Montana, and maybe one day I will. Who knows? Anyway, thanks to our sponsors, 
fact set and open exchange. We will be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock. And you know it's Thursday. And you know what's on Thursdays, Dan? We got EY from, from SoFi. So yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. All right, buddy. I'll Later, see you people. <laughs>